Hello, everyone, and welcome Fiona McLennan for a very interesting conversation we're going to have tonight. We'll be connected in more ways than one. A little private joke right now. Fiona is an embodiment coach and nervous system educator. Her areas of interest include social harmony, spirituality, organic intelligence, and issues of stored survival stress for women. She credits being mother of three and grandmother of seven as being some of her most important qualifications when it comes to trauma, grace, and healing. She has spent the last five years regulating her own nervous system and studying with her teacher, Irene Lyon, and was thrilled to be offered affiliateship with Irene's programs. Her previous studies include transpersonal counseling, transpersonal art therapy, traditional Vedic chanting, reconnective healing, and the use of essential oils to reduce toxic load. She is a firm believer in the marriage of science and spirit when it comes to human potential and loves macaroons. A recent discovery, her love of macaroons. So welcome, Thank Fiona. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. And I must just say that without five years of regulating my nervous system, the um, the journey we've had to navigate to even get here with connectivity yeah. and internet would have sunk me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I'm very, very pleased to be here. Yes. And that was my private little joke in the intro of being <laughs> uh, connected in more ways than one. But uh, we made it through, and here we are. So welcome. I'm happy to have you, Fiona. Uh, you are a nervous system regulator. Oh, not regulator. You're a nervous system educator. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I would love to. I am a nervous system regulator. <laughs> yes, that too. We'll get to that. Um, that too. And, and in fact, I have found, despite you know many studies and so on and so forth, the greatest gift I have to offer my clients is my own regulation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I um, notice a lot of people in this very exciting field are uh, doing the studies than serving clients and haven't done the time regulating their own nervous system. And that co-regulation with the client is, um, is really important. So the first step for me uh, in nervous system educator is simply educating people about the extraordinary technology that mm. is thrumming beneath their skin. That this is not just flesh and bone. This is an electrical, extraordinary system of, of, of it's amazing. And a big part of my work is to uh, help people access the intelligence in their bodies, in the mm -hmm. nervous system, in unison with the intelligence as we know it of intellectual construct. So the first step is to use your higher mind and your brain to learn about what's happening under your skin so that you can actually start inhabiting your own body in a new way because we just work that way as humans if we understand what's going on under there and we can get excited about it 
then we tend to be able to do the next step of the work, which is learning to really feel the felt sensations of your body, the impulses of your body, and have a conversation with your body and discover the mm. intelligence we are born with. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot for me, Fiona, to really wrap my head around. Mm. And um, I guess I want to dig a little deeper in how how do you how do you implement that? How do you with someone? Where do you start? If you're, yeah, how do you start it's with very, that? Very, very, very basic. It's learning about the nervous system, the branches of the nervous system, and how it operates, and how your survival physiology operates. As as simple as learning a new language. Mm -hmm. As simple as learning French, you learn about it. Mm -hmm. And as you learn about it, what are, you know, when you say that's hard to take in, it's, it's mm -hmm. really just basic, normal education is the first step of this work to learn about how your nervous system works, how your mm -hmm. survival physiology works, mm -hmm. how survival stress gets stored in your mm -hmm. body and how to get it out of there. Okay. And and so it's just that really basic education, which can sound like a lot. People can be like, oh, I don't want to study neuroscience. It, it, my teacher and her programs dive much deeper because it's her background yeah. into the neuroscience. I feel like my place and my unique fingerprint in this work is to have a more um, simple education style of that which she dives deeply into and mm -hmm. those people that really get into the science and that sort of learning and everything there's her programs that i'm affiliated with that i right. highly recommend but if other people many people i have discovered uh that's not that doesn't work for them that doesn't yeah. work for them to go at so deeply into the neuroscience mm -hmm. and so my um, form of education is making that simple but it is vital it is vital to understand so you're speaking yeah you're speaking of Irene Lyon she is the woman that you have an affiliation with how did you come how did you first come to know of her and and to become involved with her and her teachings what brought you to her well it was um, quite extraordinary moment in my life about two weeks before I simply came across her teachings online and about two weeks before that after a lifetime of some intense experiences of repetitive trauma um, mm -hmm. crazy now I understand they were vital for my journey to be doing this work yeah that if that if you understand what it's like to be deeply traumatised, then you actually understand what it, what it really looks like when you're not. Mm -hmm. And this moment, I had spent many years, some of the subjects that you mentioned, studying. My entire desire was what is the answers to peace, internal peace, the yeah. chaos I felt inside me, so mm -hmm. that I can be um, fruitfully active in external peace in our society. 
And I just had an understanding that until I dealt with my own internal chaos, yeah. there was no point in going out and being active in trying to change the world. So I had spent a lifetime on various different modalities, wonderful, wonderful modalities with different levels of um, shift, but nothing that, that matched my internal knowing of, of how deep the shift could be and mm -hmm. how joyous life is meant to be and yeah. easy, you know. And so I reached this point in my journey and some may relate and you may relate, this idea that, that's often spoken of in probably more spiritual circles that you have to stop trying to reach for something in order for it to come to you, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and I had at different times I'd like, oh, could I just pretend to stop reaching? <laughs> if I just, you know, like, you know, if I just say in my head, oh, I'm not reaching anymore to be any better yeah. truly deep within me, I was. I was still wanting more, wanting to be better. And so this point just before I came to this work was um, very powerful and very poignant and very um, deep sorrow and loss in it mm -hmm. because it was mm -hmm. like, it was like I, the visual I get is like a leaf just falling off the tree to the ground and I truly inhabited that face. I said, okay, if I am never any more than I can be right now in relationships, in my work life, in anything, if I'm never any more than this, that's okay. And that was a massive moment because in one sense it was like letting go of my life purpose, letting go of this enormous faith I had that there was more, that it didn't need to be the way that it was for me. Mm -hmm. And that life, that we were just not designed to operate the way that we were operating, the way that I was operating. But it was a very true deep inhabitant in that place. I truly said, okay, I accept this. I accept me. There was deep acceptance in it as yeah. well. Very, yeah. very potent place. And it was two weeks later that I found the answer. So that old adage <laughs> became very true, became very true because when I deeply, fully accepted myself exactly as I am and said, I am just going to love myself and I am worthy if I'm never any more than I am right now. Mm -hmm. And then and the answer to being more arrived. Yeah, it's a way of allowing when you let go of those things that bind you and keep you in that chaotic place like you said just really letting go and then you're you're opening yourself up for an allowing you know for that other energy to come to you and then you're and then your healing then your healing story began and, and, and this is so true. And the thing is, it's always challenging and very topical to my work. But you can understand this concept as an intellectual construct as I had for a long time before I came to this place and truly embodied it. 
but until you really feel it in every cell of your body it is okay i am so full of sorrow if i am never bigger than or more or better than i am right now but it's okay i feel it in every cell of my body that that i am fully worthy at the same time as feeling that sorrow so yeah it, it's very topical to the work the capacity to feel a truth rather than just know it in your mind yes 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 very topical to the work so then irene lyon appeared um online and it was just light bulb moment after light bulb moment after light bulb moment because what i find is that all of those studies in the more spiritual not all spiritual but but tending towards the more spiritual realm we're speaking the language of the nervous system it was it was the same even you can go to jesus the kingdom of heaven is within go within your mm -hmm. inner do the inner work Mm -hmm. you know, it, and, and I just went, oh, it's literal. There is a literal location of within. And I didn't realise really fully until that moment that within, it was like, well, where is within? Do yeah. the inner work. What inner work? Where is it? Right, like, right. What does that mean? What does that even, even mean? Because yeah. This ethereal concept of within. What, what, and, and this work was like, oh. It's, it's literal, and I believe all those sages and prophets and amazing people were talking about it all the way. They just didn't have the neuroscience. And, and did they understand they were talking about the body, but they somehow didn't make that clear to everyone else? Or, you know, I don't know, but I know they didn't have the neuroscience to understand. And it was just, I was like a duck to water. I was, and, and anybody who's... Um, done a lot of personal development work or spiritual development work or I think is, is going to feel the same about the work um it's like oh oh it's speaking the language I've been speaking but it's giving me a solid material biological reality of it that isn't influenced by my morals or my character or my I should be better I should be especially for women I'm not enough I'm too much there should be more when you take all of that and make it a biological reality it's such a relief it's like, oh. now when you talk about that biological reality from what you've opened up to me before you know this podcast here and me trying to go a little bit deeper into it you are talking about the biological responses of our body to stress, to trauma, right? And the effect that it has. Am, am I on the right track here? You're 100% on the right track. It's this survival physiology we have, which it's so great to look at it in the animals in the wild because domesticated animals are different. We know domesticated animals, mammals, exhibit stress. They show skin conditions or different things or behaviour, you know. And it's really interesting because animals in the wild are a perfect example of what a regulated nervous system looks like. Mm -hmm. Animals who are domesticated, they have been 
trained out of flowing fully with their natural bodily impulses. That's interesting. They are trained to not just wee any moment that they need to wee. They're trained if they're locked inside for a long time, you absolutely have to hold it and not wee, you know, when you need to wee. Um, they are trained when they're hungry and there is food put in front of them. Often people train them not to go until you say go. So they might use the technique of putting the food there and having the animals sit there. And when you see animals, our dogs who are being trained in that way and they're sitting and waiting for the command to eat you look at their bodies they are vibrating with resisting their natural impulse yeah which is yeah. eat that food it's right there now i'm not suggesting we shouldn't train our dogs or domesticate animals that's a whole other conversation i'm just using that analogy that you don't carry stress when you follow your natural impulses animals in the wild do not exhibit stress except when they come in contact with humans usually <laughs> animals in the wild they we anywhere they are their bodily impulse is followed they don't their, their instincts are followed and by the same token they have this which we have too we have too this highly intelligent survival physiology system. Right. They smell danger long before it's anywhere near them. You watch a deer on the savannah. They, 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 they have this navigation system, this protective system that is just so finely tuned in ways that we can't even begin to imagine that they know how do they know when rain is coming? They know, you know, we, we have all these sort of things of birds cheat when the rain is coming. You know, they have such incredible intelligence. We have that too. We have this survival physiology, which we perhaps call intuition and write it off as not a very high form of intelligence. But in actual fact, with a regulated nervous system, the sky's the limit for what humans might be capable of. And we have all heard, I don't know, not all of us, but I'm sure many of your listeners have heard that we're only using 10% of our brain. I'm going to suggest that the other 90% of the unconscious mind is in your nervous system. Hmm. And that means intelligence and the capacity to perceive data that we usually only just do with our mind in a new way, in a different way, and that speaks to organic intelligence. Intelligence that is equal in a two-year-old to a 90-year-old, that is equal in an uneducated person on the street to a highly lawyer. This is a different intelligence. It's separate to external education. It's the intelligence of our survival physiology of this system, this thing that we are. Now, when you talk about survival system, isn't that where uh, flight, fright, freeze comes in? Absolutely. And yeah, a special one for women to know is the lesser known 
sister of fight, flight, freeze, which are the well-known survival physiology responses, is fawn. And fawn? fawn? Fawn is fawn. And fawn is, um, or perhaps you see it in a little puppy whose mother growls him and he sort of slinks up on his belly going, oh, sorry, I want to please you. I want to do the right thing. In a hmm. human, and particularly for women, I would say the fawn response is the core of people pleasing. It is, and below it, below it is if I don't please you, if I'm not pleasing and pleasant and nurturing and all of these things, it's it's actually survival physiology. It's a I may not survive. And I don't think that's a completely unfair thing to say when we look at women in the workplace, in the world, and, and the difference between the perception of a man who steps up, knows what he wants, completely at peace with wanting it, claims it, takes it. He's, he's a, you know, he's doing mm -hmm. his thing. But whereas women, when we do that, we often get called all sorts of names, from bossy to bitchy to, you know, whatever. It's, mm -hmm. it's this. Um, aggressive, aggressive, yeah. a bad aggressive, right? yeah. No, and that's it. That's a good one. Aggressive, isn't that? Isn't it just? It's like this thing you get called as a woman. Oh, it makes my body shiver right now because there's so much beneath the calling of women. It's the same as bossy. Men never get called bossy. Have you noticed that? It's a term for women. Men don't get called bossy. We don't say about... Unless um, we're talking to our husbands. <laughs> well, then we're more likely to say, don't boss me around. Right. We're but you're, you're talking Australia. like you're talking like in the workplace environment, yeah, well, that sort anywhere. of... When any, when any woman, even a little girl, a little girl who is strong about claiming what she wants and this is how it's going to be and I want you to do this and I want you to do that, She's bossy. Even a little girl gets called that bossy. It's, it's a term of when a female shows strong leadership or clarity, she's called bossy, but a male is not. So this, this fawn response, to bring it back, this survival physiology fawn response is, is quite an important one. Um, when it comes to women and survival stress. Actually, that it was a um, cheetah, because I know the video. You okay. And Thank he, you. actually what happened is as he's there, and what's interesting is you could think the antelope was dead. When you look at it, you could think that in the chase and he got him and he heard him and killed him and he's dead because he's so frozen, like you said, he's frozen. He looks dead. Legs yes. Stiff, looks dead. Yeah, that and, was his freeze, um, right? That was the freeze. And then, that's right. That was his freeze. And when the cheetah, then a hyena came in and the yes. cheetah just actually stood up and turned around. He didn't go away. He just stood up and turned around to sort of say, hey, get lost. You're not coming in. This is my feed. I see. And it okay. Was in that split second that, as I was talking about, that capacity to know the very moment that there is a window of opportunity to run. And that antelope, that, that 
tiny little split second of opportunity to live and to, to, to get away, he was up and he was gone. Yeah. And so that is so topical because that is, and, and what's more, that antelope didn't go back to his herd and spend all day talking about what a traumatic experience he had. That antelope <laughs> did not. Yeah, doesn't we doesn't traumatic it because they don't have a higher brain, right? They yeah. don't have a higher brain, so it's only in the so with humans, this higher brain, magnificent, what we can do with it, but also clearly, obviously, we can cause enormous harm to ourselves yeah. and others, and as a society to the planet with this higher brain, and so. You know, the, the core of this work is about getting your survival physiology and your nervous system regulated, which then effortlessly has the effect of making your higher brain far more effective. Because mm -hmm. as you go through this work, you're learning and learning and you start to see more and more and more how much of your suffering, in fact, all of your suffering is created by what you think about what happens to you because what by. yeah because yeah. from what i understand is that once you've experienced the trauma and you've gotten away from it by reliving it by talking about it you're actually yeah. re-traumatizing yeah. yourself yes now yes now how said you... that that doesn't mean when i'm coaching with people we never talk and it doesn't mean that i tell them they are never to tell me their stories of trauma. Okay. Um, what it means is that I am far more likely to pause when it's obvious mm. that the story's running and running and running and it's re-traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And there can be value, there absolutely can be value um, in talking about trauma, but let's remember a lot of trauma is in utero and pre-verbal and you've got no capacity to remember it or talk about it so if it were vital to remember it and talk about it in order to heal we're in trouble because a lot of our very core trauma is pre-verbal and in utero yeah and yet it's neurobiology and yet it's still stored so now i'm interested and when you yeah and yet it's stored within us so when you are i love that word pause don't, don't you know just when you say pause and you you're silent you're still that can help regulate so when you're working with someone who has been traumatized and now you pause where do you go from there so that they don't spiral into the re-trauma what do you do i know with a health and wellness coach I might start with some breathing techniques. You do chanting. You do, we listed a whole, a whole well, toolbox of, of things that you do. I'm going to let you talk. What do you do when you are working with someone after that pause? So when I'm initially working with someone, And they want to be educated about their nervous system. Now, I can work with people. I do body work as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I do energy healing as well. Hmm. Um, but most of these modalities are not what I initially work with people with. I stick with touch, hmm. getting connected to feeling your body. Now, these mm -hmm. other techniques like meditation, like um, some breathing exercises, like can actually, and it's interesting, we're often told take a deep breath when you're stressed. But the physiology that happens when you take a deep breath actually activates your system. It doesn't calm your system. So, in fact, the best thing you could do is exhale an extended exhale, a small breath and an extended exhale. So it's very right. interesting how these more um, spiritual, for want of a better word, and everything spiritual to me, but how the more spiritual practices um, can be problematic mm -hmm. on the of dysregulation yes so I read answer a, your I, question, yeah go ahead so to answer that question when I took if I take a pause with someone when I take a pause with someone which is often it's to connect back to their body it's to simply say just feel the contact to orient my teacher calls it orienting I call mm -hmm. it embodied presence Mm -hmm. um, we all have our, our terms and our unique fingerprints of the work. Right. So I'm wanting to bring so... them back into the felt sensation of being in their body because that disassociation and trauma and an intellectual construct takes you out of your body. So coming into their body through light touch on their own skin, through some simple neurosensory exercises, feeling their feet on the ground and the mm -hmm. contact of their butt on the chair mm -hmm. and to just simply notice a few items in their immediate environment and to perhaps name them. That's a water bottle. Now, this mm -hmm. is a technique that I'm teaching my clients that you can do anywhere, obviously. You could do it on the bus. You could do it in a meeting with the bosses. You know, you could do it anywhere. Um, in some places, you might just name it in your mind. If you were in a place uh, that you obviously couldn't say, that's a water bottle. <laughs> out Someone loud might because, take you know, it away. <laughs> really not going to work um, on the bus or in the corporate meeting or, or whatever else. Um, you can say it in your mind. And it is having the effect of just bringing you back to where you are in your body and bringing your system down. And Grounding. that naming out loud is, is really useful hmm. because you're actually communicating with yourself. You're saying, that's a water bottle. I'm here. That water bottle is sitting there on the table. Well, you make it really simple. You don't go into all of that. So that's how I would work with someone. And then I'm going to be saying to them, all of that trauma in that story, all of that trauma, it wouldn't say story, um, right. that experience. Yeah. That you've just told me about all of that trauma. Where are you feeling that in your body? Mm -hmm. Where is as you talk and as you go into that experience by talking about it, where are you feeling it? Now, your nervous system, many people think your nervous system is your central nervous system and your spine cord, and it's actually 
throughout your entire body. So most often it is in your core, um, you know, between your neck and your belly is where a lot of these yeah. take place, your shoulders, your neck, your face. I actually find a lot in the face and that goes into the ventral vagus nerve, but it can be elsewhere. It could be your little finger. It could be, and, and this is the process and people may say in the beginning, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean where do I feel it in my body? Mm -hmm. And that's where we learn about naming felt sensations, contraction, yeah. looseness, heat, cool, tight, um, you know, wherever, in belly, nausea, um, trouble breathing, a, a tight feeling in my solar plexus. Right. Uh, you know, wherever. And the format to learn to really connect to these body impulses, which is literally the space in your nervous system where that trapped survival stress is living. Mm -hmm. Amazing. It's there. And to feel it, that's it. So you want, simple. you really want, to bring the person to a place of grounding, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm present, I'm here. Like you said, my feet are on the ground. Present in I'm, my body. Right. And I, there's, a, there's, there's meditation like that too where you use your senses. What are you smelling? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Mm -hmm. And it's a way to get the mind distracted from whatever the anxiety or trauma, you know? It's the grounding. It's the pause. Now you get to feelings. When I experience anxiety or trauma or whatever, I feel it in my solar plexus. My throat tightens up and my I have problems with my gut. So I've learned enough to be able to, to pause and say, okay, what are you feeling? Then the next thing is that you can explain is, okay, once you have these feelings... And feelings can be triggering too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Finger, uh, feelings can bring you to a place of overwhelm, can't they? Well, they can if they're literally, because we're not just talking about feelings, and that's an important distinction. We're talking about felt sensation. Okay. So this is felt, and often when we talk about feelings, people imagine feeling happy, feeling angry, and it is that. But this work is about coming to the felt sensation, which you described so beautifully, in your throat, tightness, in your belly, nausea, you know. So when we're talking about feeling that, we're talking about literally feeling it, feeling just bringing all of your attention to the felt sensation of the tightness in your throat, to the felt sensation of the nausea in your belly. Now, a really important word uh, in this work, I call again tender regard. The term that my teacher and her teacher call is titration. Now, titration is a chemical term and it's when they're in the lab and they're working with highly volatile chemicals, mm -hmm. which our trauma is, and they don't actually know how they respond together. 
So as they're working because they want to create something powerful, not explosive, they don't want to blow everything up, mm -hmm. uh, they're just using a tiny drop of each chemical as they put them together. That's what titration is, just little drop, see how mm -hmm. that reacts, little drop. So this is, and I call it tender regard, which is approaching your healing, approaching your body, approaching your life, approaching then naturally other people's lives with tender regard. Mm -hmm. So when we go back to this idea of feeling your sensations, it's also about knowing when to step away and resource yourself. That's enough now. Okay, that's enough. I've been sitting here with my nausea and now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, that's enough for now. Mm -hmm. What you're actually doing when you feel your nausea, feel your physical pain, feel the tightness in your throat, feel the blockage in your solar plexus. Your primitive brain is where your survival physiology lives and it communicates through felt sensation. Mm -hmm. So by feeling these felt sensations, you're having a conversation. Those felt sensations are sort of like a child, which is where most of this core trauma is, saying, I'm scared. I don't want to do this. This feels yeah. stupid. This is bad. There's scary monsters under the bed. And most often what we're trying to do with a lot of work is shut that down. Now, that's not going to work with the child and it's mm -hmm. not going to work with your survival physiology. So when you just feel with tender regard, Maybe place your hand on your belly. You're just, you're not thinking about it. You're feeling it. That is you responding and saying it's okay. What now, is that, is that like in my coaching practice, I would call that self-care, self-love. You wrap, say I'm nauseous in my stomach, okay? And I want to give that some tender regard even before recognizing why I have this feeling in my Absolutely. stomach. Absolutely. I'm mm. going to embrace myself. I'm going to talk to myself like I'm a child. I'm here. It's okay. I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to be afraid. You can lean on me, that sort of thing. Because... 100%. Yeah, 100%. because now that you... Okay, now that you have this feeling, let's just use me for an example, because I've been going through this lately, the nausea, and I'm working through some stuff and I'm recognizing where the stored trauma is in my body that's causing this. Now, where do you take me? Okay, where do you, where do you take me so that I eventually, I mean, the goal is not to have that physical feeling and you're not going to get rid of that physical feeling if you don't deal with what is happening to cause that right so partially your question is answered in the education so when you understand how this system works which of course we can't do in a podcast Right, right. Then a lot of that answer of what next and what is the process as you go through 
comes from understanding what's actually happening there. Mm. And then when you speak about the, um, you know, the way that you might to, 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 it's okay, you're safe, I think that the main difference is how is, is an awareness of how quickly you can come out of the feeling and into intellectual construct if you talk too much about it to yourself, to your client, if you do too much metaphor, which I think is brilliant, um, journeying, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So once again, when I first work with people, it's about getting that baseline connectivity in their body, which means just feel, mm -hmm. just feel. And although even as I talk, I'm describing it as inner child stuff and I very much connect, just like you just connected, that mm -hmm. was how it was for me. All my life I've been doing this inner child work and all of a sudden I understood the biological reality of it, the, 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 the way that inner child communicated in felt sensation and the way that I communicated back was to feel it. Mm. Mm. To feel it seems so simple, but we've all been deeply conditioned into mm -hmm. thinking about feeling and talking about feeling rather than feeling it. So what you're describing in a lot of practices, what they actually are, and a lot of my practices too, that I bring in, for instance, if someone wasn't only wanted to do spiritual mentorship, I would not be able to avoid bringing the nervous system into it, but, you know, there might be more focus there. But predominantly I work with people on the education. The education is the first vital step to any aspect of human potential. As far as I'm concerned, education mm -hmm. about our neurobiology. And then these other um, forms of coaching, wellness, spirituality, personal development, nutrition, all of it are actually what I would call more highly differentiated. There, mm -hmm. there are, and I don't mean they're a higher form, I mean they're a um, more complex way of coming at it because this higher brain is complex it's super complex and that the nervous system work is this foundational get this solid foundation get yourself linked between your body and your higher brain and your nervous system start understanding how it is we move stored survival stress out of our bodies mm -hmm. and then once you're sort of in that that, that becomes second nature, that, that, that embodied presence when it's just second nature to you as soon as you feel your head going yang, 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 yang at you. <laughs> yeah. You feel your butt, you feel your feet on the ground, you look around your environment, you notice things, you move very gently, very slowly, and, mm. and this can just be two minutes. But once that becomes second nature, and you understand the workings that are going on when it comes to stresses coming in, which they always will. Yeah. This is not about getting stress out of your life because actually there is good stress and bad stress. Absolutely. And that's a whole other conversation. We don't right, have it is. For, but there is yes. 100%. Stress is not bad. Let us yes. not suggest stress is bad. It's how we receive and interact with stress yeah. that causes the problem. 
you know, and back yeah. to that, um, that, that freeze of that um, impala. Hmm. It is a very interesting health and wellness issue that, and very simple to understand that as children, our go-to is, is freeze, shut down, what we call functional freeze that most humans live in. Because as a child, you very rarely have the opportunity to fight in response right. to threat or, or flee. You very rarely have the, the ability when your whole body goes, get the hell out of here and get away to do that. Right, so you just you freeze. So you just freeze because it's the only response oh. that your system has to deal with. Now, that freeze response, as you said, they look dead. That's because they're prepared. When you're in a freeze response, your body is literally preparing to most effectively die. Now, this might be another podcast and another conversation because if most humans are living in a physiological state that of, of functional freeze, as it's called, you seem to be functioning, you seem to be okay, mm. so both emotionally and physically, there are all sorts of chronic illness and chronic mm. disease. And emotionally, we put on our face, don't we? I'm okay. My life's okay. And in mm -hmm. the dark, in the night, we're, we're just, I, I feel like swearing for emphasis right now, but I won't. I we're not you. okay. No. We're not okay. And, and, and part of not being okay is having to put on that mask that we're okay. Yeah. Because we have this, this incredible social pressure to be okay or at least yeah. pretend. pretend you're okay and, and have all of the trappings when really you're not okay. So yeah. that functional is actually devastating physically yeah. and health-wise to the human system to be and when in you, it and it is a... And when you were talking about, I especially respond when you talk about children um, I saw because, that. I saw that. oh my goodness, you know, a child that has no place to run to and they're in a situation where they want to um, uh, not save themselves, but be free from that well, um, in a safe, they want to be in a it safe, is. It, it is. they want to be in a safe space. So they're going to just freeze so that they they're protected, right? And it's easy when we have this conversation to think about children suffering horrifying violence and abuse, sure. right? But it's not only that and, and it's not only that and we've talked about that before, simply the inability to express yourself yeah. as you choose to express yourself in your authenticity and, and recognise that around you, your caregivers are displeased, anywhere from displeased to withdrawing their love to it's just simply not okay to be who you are. Mm. This is a survival physiology issue. And yeah. you shut down on who you are or you pay the price because even the best of good, in inverted commas, families, there's always a um, family mythology of yeah. what we believe is good and what we believe is bad and how we think 
you should behave and how we think girls should behave and how we think boys should behave. Mm -hmm. And often it's completely unconscious. It's in their nervous systems and they're relaying it to you. So it's not just terrible abuse, terrible, violent, sexual, you know, or living in a war zone. It's not only that. It's very, very sad that any child Mm. be filled with the joy of life in themselves and a desire to express that in any way. It might be quiet. It might be loud. It might be any way. And they are told that that is just not okay. And that's you you also, uh, I mean, you also use the term, we've spoken of this before, intergenerational trauma. Mm. You know, it's like Mm. that thing, the sins of the father go to the son, blah, 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 on and on and Uh on and on. Uh Uh And um, again, traumas are relived through the generations. Because you cannot pass on you can what a child needs is a parent with a regulated nervous system yeah. full stop that is how nervous systems learn when we're born the only part of our nervous system on board is the autonomic nervous system and that's right. the thing that just is information highways and byways for all the automatic digestion lungs breathing you know so on the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system which are far more about social engagement relationships place in the world spirituality so on they're learned they are co-regulated with they are learned they are literally learned from the state of your caregiver's nervous system Mm, 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 and mm. this is why again it brings so much forgiveness Forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness of your parents to understand they quite literally did their best. They quite literally were in a physiological situation where they could only give what they gave. That was it. And that is not to condone in any way um, abuse of any kind. It's just to reframe it and understand it differently which is very healing. It's very, very healing. Yeah, and I, I love that other word. Other than pause, there's reframe. I love that you said that, reframe. Mm-hmm. And that has to become part of the coaching healing process is to reframe. Mm-hmm. Wow, just so much, so much. Yeah, Absolutely. like you said, you could have parts one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the podcast, and I know you gotta go, but I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that we fit what we fit in, and I'm glad that we finally got to do this podcast. We did have some challenges, and I really I, I loved loved the conversation, and it it yeah. has sparked an interest in me. Um, so thank you, Fiona. And um, I will, I will just get some links from you that I can put in the show notes so people can find Absolutely. where you are. Okay. I'm gonna I would love that. And I, it's so funny. I was trying to do for everybody who's listening. I was actually trying to make motions to Susan of I've got to go. And then it was so funny that the I video was off. It, it <laughs> 
you know, I was actually trying to do wrap-up motions that nobody would hear, and it's so funny that it became this sort of whole embodied. Yeah. So for those well, your video was that. off, so I couldn't see any <laughs> signals. So, okay, Fiona, thank you so much.